You're listening to As in Heaven, a podcast about Orlando, faith, and how we as Christians can be more effectively on mission in our city and beyond. Our aim is to highlight local leaders who are doing incredible things to see God's will be done in Orlando as it is in heaven. Today's guest is Zach Van Dyke. Zach is the teaching pastor at Summit Church Herndon Campus. He also teaches for Key Life and can be heard weekly on the nationally syndicated radio program, Steve Brown, etc. Zach began his tenure at Summit in the wake of an abrupt succession and eventual tragedy surrounding the previous pastor, leaving much of his congregation reeling. In this interview, he discusses how he navigated the difficult waters of trauma at his church, how Summit successfully reaches and nurtures millennial Christians, and how he processes Orlando's increasingly post-Christian culture. Zach is a humble, down-to-earth guy who clearly has a massive heart for both his congregation and his city, and we really love the time that we got to spend with him on the podcast. Jim Davis and Justin Holcomb are your hosts. I'm Matt, the producer. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode of As in Heaven with Zach Van Dyke. All right, welcome to As in Heaven. We are joined here by our friend Zach Van Dyke, Orlando native and pastor of the Summit Church. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you've been there six and a half years. And if my math is correct, in the past six and a half years, almost 800,000 people have moved to Orlando. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the Summit story, can you flesh that out a little bit? Sure. How do you want want to tell how you... um how you arrived in the position you're yeah. in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it, it can be a really hard story and it can be a really, um, sad story, but my experience with the story, um, has been overwhelmingly, um, surprising and hopeful and, um, yeah, it's, it, it, my take is probably so different than a lot of other people's takes. Um, so Summit was started 17 years ago, um, by, three guys that grew up in Northland church, um, here in Orlando. And, um, and they kind of all got their, their started ministry there. Like as high schoolers, they were given lots of opportunities to serve, uh, and worship and teach. I mean, Northland did a really good job. It seems like, uh, at least during that time period with like really empowering young people who were interested in ministry. And, um, and one of the, one of the three guys was, uh, Joel Hunter, the founding pastor of Northland, um, it was his son. So then these three young guys, when they were about 25, uh, started summit, um, with Northland's blessing, but they weren't really a, um, uh, it wasn't like a church plant of Northland, but Northland, like I think helped out a little bit and kind of gave their blessing. Cause these were, these were guys that had grown up in their church. And I would imagine a fair number of people too. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did have a good number of people. Um, and so, yeah, so, uh, so it started 17 years ago, um, and it just exploded. Um, you know, I think it, I think it took like maybe one or two years, but after that, like it just kept growing and growing. And it was a lot of, at the time, these people would now all be in their, you know, late thirties, early forties. But at the time, you know, they were in their mid twenties. And, uh, and so it was reaching a lot of that kind of demographic. Um, a lot of people who were, uh, de church or kind of left the church were re-engaging in church, um, at summit. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, it was exploding. Um, and then, um, about seven and a half years ago, Isaac resigned, um, because of, um, because of, uh, some, impropriety on his part. He, uh, he had had an affair and, um, and his marriage was in a, in a rough place. And so he stepped down. Um, and I remember, uh, 
hearing that. And uh, my first thought was, there's no way like Summit will just close shop because it was mm. so Summit was so identified to those on the outside. Yeah, you know, I wasn't in Summit Church, so I don't know how the people inside thought of it. But from the outside, Summit Church was Isaac because he was an incredible yeah. communicator. He was Joel Hunter's son. Um, so, I mean, already kind of locally, he was already kind of elevated. Uh, and he really was a great communicator. When I was in high school, um, he used to do a young adult service at Northland that I would go to uh, because, and he was only a few years older than me, but I was just like, ah, this is, this guy's awesome. And I want to learn from him. And um, right before Isaac's resignation, um, they were it was, it was probably close to like 5,000 people, mm-hmm. um, which now we're at about 3000 people. Um, uh, but at the height, it was about five, 5,000 people. It's hard for me to imagine somebody like you or me who grew up here, who didn't know Isaac. I right. mean, not right. personally, right. but like he was that recognizable mm-hmm. of a mm-hmm. figure in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's the background. So you were saying, yeah, so, so it was, so, so it was this dynamic, huge, yeah. huge. And mm-hmm. you heard the news and you thought, it's going to crumble. Yeah, I thought there's, there's, yeah, there's no, I mean, yeah, how, that dynamic of a leader and communicator. Yeah. There's, there's no stepping into those shoes. How, how does, how does a church like that survive? What idiot would try to do What that? idiot? <laughs> well, yes, exactly. And, uh, and actually a friend of both of ours sent me a text that morning. Um, and he said, I, cause the news hadn't broken like publicly yet, but he sent me a text that morning. He's like, Hey, I know what your next job's going to be. Um, and, and then I found out later that day what it was. And I wrote him back. I was like, you're insane. Like, and our friend was it, kind of joking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was definitely making a joke. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that happened and, um, and you know, it, um, it, it, it got national news, um, because at the time, uh, Pastor Joel Hunter, his dad was was an advisor to Obama, and so you know the, it became a very big story, and um, and there's a lot of things written in the local paper here about it, and so everyone was kind of watching to see what would happen, and in that context, um, I got a call about interviewing uh, to come in there, and um, uh, and my wife's first reaction was. Um, uh, no way in hell. And, um, and I had already told my job, I was working as a youth pastor at Orangewood and I had already told them that at the end of that school year, um, that I was done. Uh, I had been there for seven years serving in that role. And, um, and it just, it was time. Like I knew that I wasn't supposed to stay there any longer. And I had already told them that, but I had no idea what was next. Um, and I definitely didn't think it was going to be going to an already established church and, and being, the preacher there like that. I wouldn't, I mean, even at a, even at a, a, a much smaller church, like that was not at all part of what I thought would be next. But since I didn't know what was next and you know, I said, Kelly, we've, we just got to walk through doors that open and we'll just see what happens. And, and I didn't want it either. I, I mean, I thought this is crazy. I had preached six times to adults in my life, you know, like, and this was a church that had at the time, they actually had five services a weekend. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, right. So in the very first weekend, I'd almost done as many times preaching as I'd done my whole life. All right, so I know you now as like a great communicator and mm-hmm. you, it mm-hmm. seems like a natural fit, but like, how, how did they, like, why were they yeah. Talking to somebody who had <laughs> preached uh-huh. seven sermons to adults right. in his life. Right. Did they look at your resume or right. not is what you're trying yeah. to say. Well, right I, now. I, you know what? I've never actually gotten to the bottom of that. I don't. I mean, there were a lot of my friends 
a lot of my friends went to summit, um, because it was like the cool church to go to in my, um, around my age group. Um, and so a lot of them went to summit. So I don't know if one of them passed my name on. Um, I had just actually, um, started to get to know Isaac for real, like it, not just having heard him, but our kids were on a soccer team together. Um, and, and Isaac was a, uh, loved Steve and loved listening to Steve. So I think, I think there was some awareness of who I was because of Steve Brown and the show, um, to a lot of the guys who, who are in leadership at summit. Um, but yeah, I actually don't, no one's ever given me a straight answer as to how my name got even put in the hat. Um, and I went to that very first meeting, not wanting it at all, thinking this is crazy. Um, and it didn't go well. And, um, and they actually offered someone else the job, um, right, right after my first meeting. Um, and I think what I can gather and again, y'all, this is all my perspective, but I think they were pretty far along with this other guy. And someone said, I think you just need to talk to Zach before you like definitely say this guy. And so, um, they talked with me. I told you it went, it did not go well. I mean, I think I even said like, I don't want this. This is crazy. I've only preached six times in my life. Like my wife said, hell no. Like, I mean, I said all the things that you probably shouldn't say. Your sales skills are really (laughs) strong. When you don't have another job and you got three kids to feed. Um, but anyways, they, they offered it to the other guy. And, um, and then right before they went to publicly announce, uh, the the higher uh he said no um and he's actually a local pastor here still i'm thankful for him so much because i'm so glad he said no um mm. because it really has been a, a huge blessing for me and my family uh, but anyway so after after he said no um they came back to me and then we went through about a five month process um before i had to, i had to preach three week weekends in a row um before they offered me the job and um and that was crazy because, um, like I said, I hadn't preached that much before adults. And uh, but by the end of by the by the end of the very first weekend that I preached at Summit, my wife, we had been going to one of the services kind of incognito. I mean, nobody knew who I was anyways, but like we weren't we were just kind of sitting in the back um, throughout that whole interview process. And so by the time I finished preaching my first weekend, Kelly said, like, I think this is where we're supposed to be. And if they want us, like I'm excited about it. And, um, which is huge. Cause my, my wife grew up a pastor's kid and, and her mm-hmm. dad's been through a lot as a pastor and the church has not been good to him in a lot of ways. Um, and so she was kind of hoping when I quit the youth pastor job that God would call us out of, you know, church ministry. Um, and so for her to be all in, it, it was, I felt pretty confident about saying yes, even though the job was way, um, way beyond where I was. So that, that interests me. Like, so you're, you are, you're moving into a mega church. You did not plant. Right. Stepping into some really big shoes. Right. Imagine with, there, with, I mean, everyone, everyone, whenever I would say that I go, I'm, I'm doing this job at some they're like, Oh, Isaac, he is such a great communicator. Like that. I mean, that's all everyone would say. Um, <laughs> when I first, when I first stepped into the role, they still actually say it sure. seven, seven years yeah. later. All right. So what was it like? Um, it was weird. Uh, at first, um, uh, at the time, uh, Isaac, you know, everyone was still reeling from it and Isaac was still kind of around. And, you know, there's some people who, you know, wanted, uh, wanted him like severely punished and other people wanted him to like 
back in the pulpit as soon as like figure it out, repent, get back in the, you know, like it was, it was, people had all different kind of opinions about what should happen. And I was just kind of this, you know, young youth pastor who was just like, all right, put me in coach. And, you know, so I was a little bit naive, I think about kind of the reality of everything, uh, which probably helped, um, and, uh, and, and so that those first few months were weird and the church was still pretty huge, but it was starting to like lose a lot of people and, um, um, and, and staff wise, you know, there was some dynamics that were weird cause there were some people that were on staff at the time who thought they should have gotten the job that I got. And so navigating that was, was difficult. Um, but then about six months into my um, time there, Isaac ended up taking his life. And that is when everything changed. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden I was getting emails uh, with people just, I mean, so mad and so mad at Isaac and then also so mad at me. Like there was, uh, mm-hmm. there was this weird, like, uh, I, I, I don't know. I can't say why people did it, but it felt to me like people were taking all their anger at what had happened out on me and I didn't understand it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very much that. And, um, and so that was, I would say my first six months were weird, but it was like, it was kind of new to me. So I was having fun even in the weirdness. Uh, but then kind of when that happened and there was so much pain, um, and, uh, and I was feeling a lot of pain too, because I had looked up to this guy. And, and in fact, you know, even when he, uh, when he first resigned, my, my pastor from college also resigned around the same time for, for kind of similar stuff. And I, I really questioned whether or not I should even go into ministry because two of the guys that I idolized fell in such dramatic ways. And I know that I'm capable of falling in dramatic ways too. Um, and so even like, there was a lot of me just even wrestling with like, is it worth it to like put my family through this, knowing that I'm sinful and I'm very capable of, of making just as much a mess as them. Um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of a turning point when that happened. Um, and we lost a lot more people, like a lot of people stayed through my transition, but then after Isaac, um, committed suicide, it was a lot of people left. And, and I think it makes sense. There's a lot of, um, uh, he, I mean, his language is all over that place. His personality is all over that place. And, uh, and I think it became a very painful place for, for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, so, but people stuck. Um, and, uh, and like I said, it's, that's been, uh, that's been six years now since that happened. And, um, did your relationship with the congregation become, did, did you become like the pastor to more people at that point, or was there still, a, was there a distance? I mean, it could have been, it could have gotten worse. I mean, I have yeah. no idea. I mean, in, in dreamland, we go, yeah. Oh, this is where I really became the shepherd of the flock. Was mm-hmm. it like that or not really? N- no. Um, I, I wish that it, it, um, for the people who stayed, I think, yes. Um, I think, like I said, there were a lot of people who got very angry and, and directed a lot of that anger towards me. Um, and, there were also a lot of people who that was the moment um, that a lot of them seemed to just completely distrust Christian leadership yeah. altogether. So that makes sense. So there was there was no way to pastor them through it because that the office of pastor kind of lost in their minds any kind of 
credibility. Um, but for the ones that did stay and we did have a lot of people like rally and stay, um, uh, yes, the relationship and my, my, that solidified me staying there. Like, I don't know if I would still be there today had that relationship not gotten solidified then. Um, because I I don't know how long that weird stage would have lasted. Mm. You know, like I don't, I I don't know how all that would play out, but, but for the, the ones that did stay, um, I do think that that happened and it has, has happened over time, you know? And, um, and my big thing with even coming to summit was that I wanted to be able to talk about my own personal struggles and what a mess I am pretty freely from the pulpit. And so I I came in doing that and had the freedom to do that because the guy who was ahead of me had messed up so bad um, that, that they, people wanted me to do that, you know, whereas I think before that there was a little bit more of pressure on Isaac to, to not do that, to mm-hmm. be the example for his congregation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I benefited greatly from being able to come in and not have to be people's example, um, as far as like holiness and obedience and perfection, but just their example of like a sinner needing Jesus and, and leading us all, you know, to him. Martin Luther's you know. the Christian life is one of repentance and right. he got to be the model right. of repentance right. and yeah. not the model. Of yeah. And I don't know exemplar. that, I don't know yeah. that people, uh, uh, really were wanted that from Isaac. Um, that's a lot of history. Yeah. What does it look like now? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm just blown away that, uh, like I said, I thought this church was going to close its doors. Like it would not survive. And so the fact that, that not only has it survived, but it's thrived in many ways and that I've gotten to be a part of it that I've gotten to be in it for these last six years, six and a half years. Um, I just, God has proved himself so much more faithful, um, than, than our efforts. Right. And, um, and just, I, I know y'all had, uh, Dr. Hunter on the, uh, Isaac's dad on the program not too long ago. Uh, and he, uh, him and his wife have just recently started coming, uh, to summit on Sunday. You know, he's often asked to preach other places and, um, and so he's not here a lot of Sundays, but over the last few months he started coming some. And the first time he showed up, I was a wreck, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, not just because of the history, but because he's a, he's also a great communicator and to have a great communicator sitting there, uh, you know, your little piddly sermon, you're getting ready to, you know, making mud pies. Right, right, right. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, he, I just recently sat down with him and, uh, and he, uh, he was so, uh, thoughtful and kind. And he was like, you know, Becky and I, when we're here, like we really like being at summit and, uh, and we would love it if it's not weird for y'all Good for that to kind of be the place mm. we land. And, uh, and I, I mean, I think I'm still kind of processing mm. that whole conversation, but to then, see that side of this summit story where God is faithful enough that, that they not only feel, um, welcomed at summit, but that there's, there's hope and healing Mm. and peace there. Um, it just blows me away. So, so yeah, so we're, uh, um, 
we're so thankful that they, they want to be there. One of the one of the really important parts of continuing a church is reaching the next generation. And mm-hmm. one of the things that that anybody who's looked at your church or been around your church knows y'all have been very successful at reaching one of the beginning millennials, still millennials, but now Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of churches just trying to figure out how do they turn that corner? What does it look like to have fruitful ministry mm-hmm. to this to this younger generation. I'm starting to feel old by saying this younger generation. Um, I'm content that my generation, your generation, my generation, we exist solely to transfer power from the boomers to the millennials. That's why we're here. So, okay. But, um, but what do you think makes summit successful at reaching these groups of people? And if there were a bunch of pastors here saying, help, you know, help us learn, what would you, what would you tell us? Um, you know, it's funny this, just this past weekend, um, I, was doing the announcements and I, I talked about the, uh, the young people at the church and one of the other pastors afterwards was like, you know, you sound like an old man when you call them the young people at the church. Um, but uh, you know, it's interesting. Just, just for context, yeah. if I were to bring you guys into my denomination <laughs> as Zach, you're 39 yeah. and Jim, I forgot how old just you are. 40, 40. If I brought you guys in, they would be like, Oh my goodness, you brought in the young people. So, I mean, I'm 46 with a dead skunk on my face with my my little, you know, gray beard thing. And they think I'm young still. Mm So it's all relative, baby. Yeah. Good. So go ahead. Yeah. Um, You know, we're actually having this conversation too, because we feel like we've got to rethink some things to reach the younger generation than the millennials, uh, because, you know, we feel like we're not doing as great a job there. I think part of why... Um, young people have come to Summit and felt like they have a place and they're connected is that part of our DNA from the very beginning has been to give away lots of leader, like real leadership and things. The church was started by a bunch of 25 year olds. So like, at, you yeah. know, I think the, the children's director, the very first children's director was 19 at the time, you know? So like part of our DNA has been like, we trust young people to do, you know, pretty big things and, and don't make them go through a lot of hoops to get there. Now that causes other kinds of problems. Uh, when you don't, when you don't make them jump through too many hoops, you find out later their sexual ethic is, is all screwy and you got to go back and and fix that and stuff like that. Uh, but it has been, um, I just think part of our DNA has always been to say, um, to, to, People have come and felt like immediately, like, I don't have to, I don't have to reach a certain level to really have ownership and, Mm -hmm. and, and can do something that actually makes a difference and matters. So I think that, I think that's one thing that we do well is empowering young people to serve and have leadership and and things in the church. But I'm, I do think like the fact that like, it's not just about what happens on Sunday is very important to the younger generation. They want to know that if we did not exist in our city, that our city would care, like our city would notice well, a difference by us not being there. And and I think Summit has always made a very high value of that from, you know, way before I was a part of it. So, you know, we're over here, we're in the Maitland area right here. And so everywhere there's a Sunrail stop is just drastically changing oh, yeah. the demographics. So Maitland, oh. which was like, Growing up downtown, yes. it was like this way out there. Now you have this, these big urban complexes popping up mm-hmm. with largely um, young, single, cohabitating, maybe newly married with no kids. Right. And, and that's in our midst. And, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like the cultural distance between the average church, us included, mm-hmm. and that group is very, very, yeah. very big. Uh, so it's something that we're thinking through. And yeah. 
I mean, it is. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think uh, one of the thing, the one of the issues that we really do hit all the time is because we do empower people pretty early. I mean, they they have to be able to tell us who Jesus is and they believe the gospel. But as far as uh, like proven understanding of just kind of biblical ethics and morality, uh, they don't have to go through a whole lot. And that is one of the places where we, when you do attract younger people, so many of them are cohabitating or just their their understanding and view of sex are some of our greatest volunteers, like serving with our children or with our students. Um, And it just never came up like we never knew it and then it did came up and and then they find out oh no we have we 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 have some thoughts about that like we we think you know there's a certain way that God's asking us to live um and I've had to have so many conversations um which don't always go well mm-hmm. um just even explaining why that's an issue and why that's not just some antique old puritan viewpoint it's like an actual biblical viewpoint. So that is All where this it gets Jesus really... stuff might have something to say about mm-hmm. if he's Lord over everything, right. our sexuality is a piece mm-hmm. of something yeah. that he's Lord over. Yeah. Might. yeah and I well, mean, it's I... such a sexuality because there are financial implications. Right. Well, you know, like well, it's a huge, I was going to tell you guys in my world, in, in older generation world, we have similar issues. Really? But, mm-hmm. But what happens is usually it's because, um, people have been widowed and mm. it'll mess oh. up social security so they don't want to be alone. They really do want to be married. So they'll actually do everything like marriage, except refer to each other as their spouse. But they'll cohabitate because if you if you end up getting married, it does something with the social security. I don't understand it yet because I'm only 46 and I haven't figured it out. Right. But we actually do have the pastoral conversations that you mm. all are having. Wow. But it's usually with like 70-something-year-old yeah. people and their sex life. But that's <laughs> I would have never thought that you're having that same conversation. Yeah. Uh, something that uh, we hear often, we've talked with a few guests about this, is... It, we hear people say over and over, Orlando is a weird church place. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear this from people who grew up here, people who are moving here. So do you agree with that phrase? And if you do, what do you, whether you do or not, why do you think people are saying that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think growing up here and being in church my whole life, I, I, I don't actually know. I don't really understand that. Um I, I think, you know, I've, I was, a Orangewood uh, was a great church to grow up in, even though I know I said I didn't really understand the gospel till seminary, but I don't think it, it was because it wasn't being preached there. It yeah. was just the dynamics of a, of a school uh, associated with your church. I think I just got very confused about the difference between rule following and, and achieving in school and, and my relationship with God. Um, I put a lot more of that on me than the, the, the church. I think I grew, it was a great church to grow up in. Um, and then now being a part of summit, I, I um, maybe the weirdness is that um, we, Orlando does feel like a place where there's not a whole lot of synergy or connection between churches um, that it does feel like everyone's a little bit of, you know, going out rogue and, and kind of doing their own thing. And so um, I could see where maybe that creates a weird environment or the fact that we are a pretty transient location where um, people are in and out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I would be curious as to what people, what people have said makes it a weird church environment. You'll have to listen to the other. I guess so. Right? Yeah. 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 And I mean, we live in the, you know, entertainment capital of the world. And so there is a little bit of like, uh, I don't know. Do people want more of that because they expect it because they live in Orlando or do they want an escape from that? And they want something totally different. And I think you can find churches around Orlando that are, 
that are you would consider successful that are going both extremes. So yeah. Um, so yeah. We, I, when you think about ministering in Orlando, mm-hmm. because this is a very unique context, you said it's yeah. the entertainment capital of the world. Um, you alluded to this, but we lack this long heritage as a, as a city, which would produce culture. Um, we're very spread out. There are no massive bodies of water or mountains to kind of keep us in a contained area. We just right. keep spreading and spreading. Um, when you look at Orlando, what are the unique challenges in your mind to ministering to the city, especially as it's changing so fast? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that was a Barna that just came out with that study where we were, where we were we sixth or not. We were ninth and unchurched and sixth and sixth, de-churched, yeah. I think, or something. Um, so I know that the de-churched population is huge in Orlando. And I do think that has something to do, not just with Summit and Isaac, but I think Orlando has had several big churches have something like that happen yeah. with their lead guy. And so I think there was a large population of people that have been disenfranchised with the church. So I think that, and that's just low hanging fruit, because if you're de-churched, you already know it and you've already experienced Jesus and maybe you're really mad and maybe you're really sad, but like, I can't imagine that any of those people don't want it to be true again and don't want to experience hmm. it again. So what's really encouraging about, I did a little bit of research uh, with some friends who were sociologists and the unchurched, you ask them what they believe and it's what you would expect from like a basic non-believer talking about being mm-hmm. unchurched. When we interviewed the de-churched, a majority of them were Jesus is God, bodily resurrection, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. the snapshot of the de-churched are basically uh, people who uh, don't go to church anymore, but profess and seem to many of them possess faith in Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. Yeah. So I think that's a unique opportunity that all of us have that minister here in Orlando is, 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 is that demographic or those, those groups of people who, who have been hurt by the church or left the church because, you know, they couldn't understand how to connect what they, what they believe scientifically with the, you know, like there's all these kind of questions that, that they probably have that have led to them leaving. The other thing about our city that, um, that I feel like I'm just starting to see, um, and experience is, you know, there was a, I think it was a CN, no, not CNN, maybe a 2020, uh, program that came on a couple years ago that, that showed like how many people are, um, are living in absolute poverty in Orlando. Like we're one of the largest cities of, of people who are employed, but underemployed. And, um, and Hmm. you know, part of that is because we're such a hospitality industry driven city. Um, and, um, and so for me, I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity for the gospel for churches here because we have so many people that are living in conditions, um, that practical, um, service, uh, could, could open up so many doors. And, um, and I, you know, I grew up at a Christian school where we all were kind of the same, you know, political thinking. We were all in the same kind of, uh, uh, economic situation. And, um, and I was kind of very much in that bubble. And I, I feel like over the last few years, as I've looked more deeply at our city and what does it look like to actually reach our city? Um, I, I'm just realizing I, I've been so shielded from a lot of that. And, and I know that's where Jesus would be. I know that's where mm-hmm. he would show up. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I would love to see our city really try to tackle some of those things so that 
if the church got whisked away from Orlando city hall and, and all these places would like, they would know and they would yeah. know that it, it was a, it made a difference that, that we were here. So, I mean, I, I was thinking just last week I was at Walmart. The Walmart I go to is on four thirty six over by Lake Howell. And, uh, and there's just lots, lots of different parts of the community coming together at that location, which is probably why Walmart put it there. Right. Um, but I'm looking around and seeing so many people that would never just walk into my church. Right. Like under no circumstances would most of these people wake up and think, I'm going to go to Orlando Grace Church this morning. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be a going out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and y'all are really kind of spent this year working mm-hmm. on this and looking mm-hmm. at this. What have you, is this what you're saying now part of that process? Um, I think I've, I think I've already said that uh, part of Summit's DNA, which I think has been helpful as far as reaching and, uh, and keeping and, and empowering millennials is that we've always kind of been focused on the city and not just what happens on Sundays. Um, but we've always done that in kind of a very, uh, you tell us there's a need and we'll, we'll show up. We'll do, you know, tell us and we'll go do something. But over the last two years, we started thinking, what would it look like if we were very intentional mm-hmm. about the way we served our city so that the impact isn't just, oh, that's that church that if we call them, they'll do something. Like, what if we actually really went after something that we think uh, is in line with God's heart and, and and maybe even how God is uniquely built summit to serve because we, I definitely believe that I believe God builds churches in very unique ways to, to meet very unique needs in, in the city, in the location that they're, they're placed. Um, and so for us, we kind of landed on, um, coming alongside the, these, these structures and the relationships and the resources that serve vulnerable children in our city. That's kind of where we, we've landed and we, we've taken kind of, uh, two steps in that direction with going uh, deeply into the foster care system here and through uh, uh, title one public schools. And, um, and God is just, it's been so cool and for people who don't know what title one public schools yeah, are. title one school, uh, title one public schools is a designation given to any school where a certain percentage of the students falls below the poverty line. And actually in our city. So again, Orlando, this is so important to know. Our city, 90% of the schools, public schools, would qualify as a Title I school on the national standard. Wow. But because we don't have funding to, uh, to, to, to designate 90% of our public schools that way, our number is you, you have to be even way you know, you, you're, the poverty line has to be even way more extreme in order to be given that designation. But that. 90%, 90% of the schools in Orlando could could be considered title one. So anyway, so we thought, all right, well, um, you know, we're, we're a church that has focused a lot on children through the years and we, we love serving kids and we love telling kids about Jesus. And, uh, and so let's, let's go after these kind of two areas in our city and see if, see if we can move the needle in any way. Um, and we, we just kind of rolled out the initiative at the beginning of this or last year. Um, so we've been doing it for a little over a year now and, uh, uh, it's been so cool to see how God's opened doors. And, um, and I, 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 our, our hope is, is that in serving these practical needs, people will be curious enough to walk through Summit's doors because I think a lot of the people we're serving would not ever naturally come to Summit. And and part of it is even um, a lot of the, the demographics of the people we're serving. Like, I just don't know that they would think Summit would be a place where they would uh, fit in. And, mm-hmm. and we're trying to, we're praying through and trying to figure out how to even change how Summit looks and feels too. Um, 
Um, but yeah, so this is kind of where, where I'm excited about seeing Orlando, um, reach for the gospel is, is in this area in particular. And I think it's doable. Um, and what we're doing with foster kids right now, um, uh, it's such a cool, we didn't come up with it. It's a organization out of Atlanta started doing it, but, um, uh, 50% 50% of people who go through all the training to be foster parents, all the testing, all the stuff. I mean, it takes, it's a, it's a big process to be, um, you know, qualified or, or, you know, uh, what's it called when you're certified? licensed, licensed, okay. certified as foster parents, 50% uh, quit after their first placement or after the first year, because it's just, it's so hard. Um, and this organization out of Atlanta developed these, these care communities around foster families um, that kind of provide meals for them, provides mentorship mm. for the the foster kids, and then if, also if they have you know biological kids in the in the household, mentorship for them uh, provides just kind of a community of people to say like we're in this with you. That number went from fifty percent to ninety wow. percent. Stick with it, and so we've we've started doing that, and right now we have twenty six foster care communities around foster families. Some of them are foster families in our church, but a lot of them are just foster families that found out that, that there's this church that will, you know, send people to bring them food. And, uh, and it's been so, it's been so cool and it's doable. Like it's doable. And, and, you know, there's a, uh, there's like 200 kids right now, um, in Orlando who don't have a foster home. They're like in a group home situation because there's just not enough beds and there's not enough people doing it. But if, if foster families know they have communities around them, there'll be more of them and there'll be more of them that stick with it. And so I really do believe we can, we can take, I mean, 200 kids. That's, that's nothing. Like there should not be 200 kids in Orlando who don't have a home uh, with people who love them and taking care of them. And and so, you know, I'm excited to see what God does through that. That is really cool. And it, one of the things that I actually, we've talked a lot about Dr. Hunter, uh, but he, he said a shift he's seen in, in his years in Orlando is that he's starting to see, churches work together a lot more mm. and pastors be friends a mm. lot more. Um, and I like, I mean, I didn't even realize any of this was going on now. Like you make yeah. me want to go and go tell our church, <laughs> right, there's 200 right, kids. Right, we can, right, we can right, fix this. Right. We can fi- like, that is a fixable problem. All right. Last question. Uh, if you could go back to your 28 year old self and give your 28 year old self one piece of advice, what do you think it would be? God has proved so faithful again and again and again to me um, and to my family and now to my church family in ways that I never would have expected. And I think I've spent, especially at 28, um, there was so much that I was fearful about taking risk and steps because I could not see it working out. And even even telling the Summit story again today was so encouraging for me because it is... There's at 28, I would have never in a million years thought that that story was, was going to be written that way and that it would, and that it would work and that it wouldn't, you know, uh, turn, uh, turn into just a sad, depressing story. So like that, I think I would tell my 28 year old self, like God really is faithful. Um, and if he's called you to it, uh, he'll, he'll do it. He'll do it. He just, he just, he's inviting you into what he's going to do, whether you say yes or no. Well, man, thank you for giving us your time and hanging out with us today. Yeah, man, I loved it. It was great. Thanks so much for listening to As in Heaven. 
For more information on the mission of this podcast, including supplementary blog posts about the history and culture of Orlando, go to asinheaven.com. That's A-S-I-N-H-V-N.com. If you like this episode, please take a second to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, which helps a ton. You can do that right from the Apple Podcasts app if you happen to be listening there. As in Heaven is recorded in-house at Orlando Grace Church. For more information on Orlando Grace Church, go to orlandograce.org. Thanks again for listening.